Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number nine of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And as we hit this point of the season, yes, there are some very high-stakes baseball games being played, but no, the Mets are not involved in them. So we will start to dive into or continue to dive into some off-season talk. A lot of Steve Cohen talk on the show today. One story that will make you feel good from a humanity standpoint, another story that will make you feel very good as a baseball fan, as a Mets fan. So let's get right into it. Joe, how are we doing on this nice October week, although we do not have our baseball team in the playoffs? I'm doing all right, Connor. Glad you have internet at your new place. And uh, yeah, and Dak Prescott, get better soon. Uh, I know. Absolutely brutal. Um, Not a good year for, you know, this is where you'd hope that football keeps you and I afloat. Me as a Jets fan, you as a Cowboys fan, and Things are not going in the greatest of directions on those fronts. But one thing that did go in a great direction this week uh, that, you know, was really nice to see uh, from the New York Post, Jill Sherman wrote about Steve Cohen intends to front almost $3 million to go to City Field seasonal workers, which would pay them about $500 a month while it is the off season, which so, you know, essentially, obviously, a lot of these these workers did not uh, have a baseball season where they were needed. And, you know, that that hurts. It hurts across all of baseball, but seasonal stadium jobs, things like that. And uh, it was a great story to read because it just shows that, you know, Cohen isn't just coming in. And, and listen, we had to deal with a lot of nonsense during the spying process. Let's just start with that, how. Uh, the J-Rod group deserved the team. Some people, and, and I'm not talking about just like random people. I'm talking about like verified people on Twitter, some people in politics, this and that, uh, saying they deserved the team, things like that. A lot of bad things written about Cohen, um, you know, and, and his funding power, this just shows it's, it's not just going to go to signing players. It's not just going to go to baseball operations, things like that could do a lot of good right in a time where a lot of people are struggling in the pandemic uh, in a time where everybody involved in working in sports not just media but you know you forget that there are vital people in the stadium operations in a lot of the team operations that that do not work year-round with the team but are vital during the season it's nice to see him thinking of them Joe what what was your take on this story when it dropped this week it was really good to read like I just tweeted, like, this is nice to see. Like, it's really great to see Steve Cohen really trying to endear himself a little bit, right? He's has his reputation in the financial world, but he also does a ton of philanthropy work. He donates a lot of money to different causes. He does, he does a lot of goodwill items. But one thing that 
he's now coming to the Mets and saying, I understand this was a tough year for everybody, and we were unable to have any fans at the stadium, thus the stadium workers weren't there. And those men and women, you know, I don't, I, I would hope they have different jobs, um, but if, if not, they just weren't making any income for this whole summer. And Steve Cohen's coming in and saying, look, I will pay you $500 a month through the off season to try to make up for some of the money that you lost. It's not all of it, but it's it's trying to help. So it's a nice good deed by Steve Cohen. And you could tell that he's trying to do nice things along the way. And we're, and we're starting to really grasp what those are. And this is, to me, a nice first step. It's not, you know... It's not signing JT Realmuto. It's not trading for Francisco Lindor. It's not bringing Theo Epstein in. It's not going to impact the product that we all want to see win. But ultimately, he's owning the Mets, not just the baseball product on the field, but he's owning everything related to them. So taking care of stadium staff is really good to see because that's, I imagine, the past ownership group may not have really done this. I mean, this is what good organizations do. This is what proud organizations do. Now, I understand that, you know, simply during hard times, there are going to be cuts at companies. It's just economics. It's the way a lot of things go. But when you look at it, the big point of this to me, Joe, is that Cohen is more than willing and happy to take directly out of his pockets and pump into this franchise. There's no, you know, when there's acquisitions most of the time, you know, not all the time, but most of the time, you need money to come back in before you can really start allocating it. With Cohen, it's, no, I'm good. I have way, way much of a cushion to take from that cushion and pump into a franchise that is in debt Pump into a franchise that notoriously does not spend money anymore, whether it's on players, whether it's on, I mean, you can go across the board. Analytics, they don't spend money on anything, and you could could bet on that they would not really treat their, you know, seasonal workers, the Wilpons, would not really be interested in, in going out of their way for, uh, for employees that are part-time. So I think for Cohen, it's a feel-good story. It's a great thing to do, especially right now. It's something that people will remember, and it's something that people do carry with them. They go, oh, I, you know, I was proud to work for the New York Mets uh, for someone that cares about me as an employee. I think anybody that's ever had a job uh, has felt or not felt that before in their life. And I think when I look at it, and I know you do feel the same, Joe, the Mets are very, very fortunate to have a guy that's coming in in a year where a lot of teams are going to be cutting. They're going to be cutting from their baseball front offices. They're going to be possibly slashing payroll. There is no fan revenue for them to dive back into and allocate elsewhere. Now, the Mets, while also not having that fan revenue, have a ton of debt piled up from the Wilpons, and they found a guy that will come in, wipe that slate clean, and continue to pump more of his own money everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, you can't ask for much more. It's rare. Yeah, you can't ask for more. The Mets are... Truly, like, the, we've been through the the rigor here with this team for our entire life. Everyone listening, you and me, you know, we've been through it. And, you know, you're, you're getting an owner now that I know some will have lofty expectations and think he's going to sign every free agent and get every superstar. It, it doesn't work that way. 
but this team is going to be run the way a New York baseball team should be run. And ultimately, that's what I care about, where they're going to be in play for the right guys on the field. They're going to be in play for the right people in the front office, and he's going to do the right things off the field because this team has been an off-field PR mess forever. And, you know, this is just a sign of some good PR. And he's not even officially sworn in as owner yet. And he's already working on some good PR. So step in the right direction. Can't wait to see what, what his next off-field you know, investment is. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it really will. We're going to get into the, hey, this is, why I, this is how the team's going to get better. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> I know I'm just going to throw this in here. We didn't even plan to talk about it, Joe. I, I'm kind of enjoying, and I know you are too, but it's also funny to me how every national media baseball article now includes the Mets. It's like seven landing spots for Francisco Lindor or top fits for Nolan Arenado or JT Real Muto, favorite landings. <laughs> and yeah. it's always the Mets in there. And it's it's rare for us. I don't even care. Like, I do care if they don't sign any or require anyone. I want the team to get better. But we're at such a baby step of, wow, the Mets are next to the Yankees, the Dodgers, the, you know, yeah. on and on and on. And it's just, it's actually very funny to see. It's very funny to see. And to be honest with you, like, no offense to those writers, but if I saw this time last year, if I saw an article, the top seven landing spots for Francisco Lindor, I'm probably not even going to bother clicking the article because I know the Mets are not in that article. They're definitely not going to be there. But now, anytime there's anything in related to a significant player and talk about teams being into it, I'm going to read that article because the Mets are going to be involved in people going forward. That's that's what's going to happen by all accounts. There's no one you could find that's going to dispute that and think that Steve Cohen's coming in and the Mets are not going to be in that position. So... Yeah, it, it's fun, exciting, and, you know, it might let some people down, but at the end of the day, they're going to land some of these guys. They're not going to land all of them, but as time goes on, you'll see the Mets in play for stars, and, I mean, frankly, that's that's what I wanted. I want them to, to be in the game. I mean, when Bryce Harper was a free agent, I wanted him on the Mets, but I knew for a fact the Mets were not even going to think about talking to Bryce Harper, let alone actually doing so. The Mets will now talk to these free agents. Maybe they won't land them, but they'll talk to them, and I can't wait for it. Well, at least you could be taken seriously, right? Yes. And I do think it – I don't know how much it affects it, but it affects it in some way, how teams in your division do operate, right? I mean, remember – and I know he's. it's a horrible example because he's, he's failed – but, like, Brody even hinted that they made such a push for Edwin Diaz because they were scared of the Phillies getting him. I'm not saying that's a good thought process, but I'm saying it does happen in sports where you look – like, every year you enter free agency and you look around and you go, oh, the Mets aren't going to be in play for the top ten guys. Like, it, it does get in your head a little bit. It, it, you know, agents are going to use it. I'm telling you right now. You know the Phillies are going to at least, I would imagine or hope – that they make an effort to retain JT Real Muto, you're going to have an agent sitting there going, well, the New York Mets have this much money. You better do better than that. It really affects everything. And one more Cohen story that we wanted to talk about at the top of the show here, and this one is directly impacting the baseball operations, and I'm really excited to hear you, hear your take on it, hear what exactly it would impact, Joe. Mike Puma was writing about how Steve Cohen is going to blow up the Wilpons archaic technology. What does this mean exactly? 
it means the Wilpons didn't give a crap about technology or analytics or anything that actually makes an organization better for the long term. <laughs> and Steve Cohen is going to care about those things. Sandy Alderson is going to care about those things. And a couple examples from the article. Very common now across the game. Basically, everyone has it. It's motion capture technology. The Mets were proposed this and... The price back when they were pros, this was years ago, it was $150,000 to get this system put in. The Mets and Jeff Wilpon passed. No thanks. It is now almost every team in baseball has it as a standard. The Mets just recently, you know, months ago, said, we're going to hire a team to start talking about having motion capture. The Mets are years and years behind people when it comes to technology when it comes to analytics and those are things you can make up really quick so you know it's not like now steve cohen has this big gap that needs to bridge with money you can get the best technology that's out there right now maybe even be maybe you could quickly become ahead of the game you can hire the right people in analytics it's when I read this article, I was blown away at the way the Will Punch treated this. And <laughs> were you though? Were you Joe? Not really, I guess. I guess I wasn't really blown away, but like just reading it, right? Like it's one of those things you knew in your mind, but then when you read someone else say it, you're like, "Wow. That's unbelievable. $150,000 and they wouldn't do it." Like insane. That's when it comes to a baseball team, like 150 grand is nothing. Like nothing. Like to you and I, it's Joke. crazy. But like to them, a hundred, even the Wilpons, one hundred and fifty grand isn't a lot of money. And and then when you're looking at from an analytics standpoint, obviously the Mets before Brody had a two person analytics team. When Brody came, they upped it to a whopping five. So they have a five person analytics team that I don't really know how much they actually listened to, but they had them and they said they expanded it. But the great teams have upwards of 20 people in their analytics department. So again, you are significantly behind the eight ball there. And one of the things that I really love to read here is the Mets are going to become analytically driven, and they may even be known as the East Coast Dodgers. I mean, that I'm, I'm sure Fred, Ooh, I'm sure Fred Wolpon would love Fred Wolpon would love that. I mean, he loves the Dodgers, right? So, um, but no, the East Coast Dodgers, like awesome i i couldn't support it anymore i've said it on almost every episode here let's invest in analytics let's get a a double digit analytics team do i need them to have 25 no but let's make a serious stride forward with the quantity of people you have the quality of people you have and the way you actually take their information and then one more thing because i know you you certainly are going to want to chime in steve cohen has told associates according to sources he expects to lose $400 million on the team the next two years. But that's not really stopping him. This quote from a major league executive, while all these other owners are trying to save money, he's already spent money. So what's another $50 million to put together the best front office and infrastructure that he can? They're trying to save money. Cohen is like these guys that try to dominate Wall Street, which is what he did by buying up all the stocks when stuff is going bad. He's already spent the money, and this is his opportunity to really take advantage of a down market. 
if the Wilpons ever gave out a $50 million contract and it didn't work out, they were screwed for like two years. <laughs> and Steve Cohen's like, eh, what's another $50 million to just have a great front office? Like, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. I was like, I'm waiting to like wake up and text him be like, yo, I had this wild ass dream that the Mets got bought by some guy with $15 billion and he spent $50 million on infrastructure and technology and a front office. It's like, what? This Is this the Mets? Like, very, this is an exciting article to me. And I think every Met fan, I'm sure a lot of you have read it. It's been quote tweeted everywhere. I've retweeted it. Uh, this is something that you need to read. It just shows where the Mets were and where they're about to go. And it is night and day. Absolutely. I mean, it was extremely, it was almost, it was more eye-opening than anything, right? Because you kind of, you know, as we sit on our couch and turn on the Mets each night and get invested in the lineup or get invested in the pitching or get invested in wins and losses, you really forget the entire operation behind the scenes. And you sit there and go, God, like, it's, you know, thank God that the Mets are going to be investing in these things. But it's like, wow, you're playing... It's almost like playing down a man, right, without all of these things. When you go against the teams that do invest the right way, when you go against the teams, you know, I always bring it back to, to football scouting, but it's something I learned really quickly when I started to cover the NFL draft year-round. And you talk to a lot of guys, different guys with different organizations, and the number one thing they talk about all the time is the budget they have with the scouting department because they go, well, if we can go get poach that guy from there, you know, then our SEC – scouting will be so much better but we don't have the money to to get all these people so we're stuck you know it, it really does make a difference when you invest behind the scenes get the right people get the right technology get the right capabilities and, and I think for Cohen you know there's a couple things that cross my mind and I I hate to even go back to J-Rod because they, they don't really deserve the attention but it makes you sit there Joe and go god how would they absorbed $400 million in debt and done the things that need to be done with this team that have no excuses? Like the things to me, Michael Conforto needs to be extended. I don't want to hear a single excuse. They need to go start a start. They need to sign a starting pitcher this offseason, whether it's Bauer or Stroman or they trade for a guy, but they, they get him because they take on salary. They need to add a starting pitcher. Like I don't think with, the J-Rod group, the Mets would have flexibility to even get internal extensions done. We're talking about that kind of money that was needed up front, dumped into this organization where it's terrifying to even think about that, but it's also a, an absolute savior that they do have somebody with the means to invest and you know put the money where it needs to be put. And you're right. Like you said, with the J-Rod thing, we don't want to give them any more pub than they've already gotten. But they would they would not have been able to do what Steve Cohen's doing. I don't care what they said publicly. They said they'd have a $220 million payroll, blah, 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 blah. Wilpons. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. That's my thought. Yeah. It would it would have been no better than the Wilpons. And they were taking out additional debt. It would, it would have been an utter disaster. But we don't have to worry about that. We have Steve Cohen. And like, and like, right. and like you said, Steve Cohen... You know, he needs to sign Michael Conforto, 100%. He needs to acquire starting pitching. He needs to consider guys like JT Real Muto or George Springer or 
any premium player who needs to consider those guys, that's going to make a huge difference on the field in the near term. However, what's very important is this investment into analytics, this investment into scouting, this investment into technology, everything that you spoke about in reference to the NFL, it applies in baseball too. It's really, it's really the same thing in a sense. The more he invests into there, that's how the Mets are going to be good for a long time. You could sign a free agent, and that's going to be awesome. You're going to sell uniforms. You're going to—I say uniforms. You're going to sell jerseys. You're going to sell tickets, and they're going to make an impact in the near future. But JT Realmuto is not going to be the reason the Mets are good for the next seven to ten years. You know, the backbone of the organization. That's how they're going to be good for the next seven to ten years. So player acquisition is imperative, obviously, because that's how you win baseball games. But just look at look at how the Rays operate. I, I don't want a payroll like the Rays, but they are heavily invested into analytics and technology, and just they make smart moves. They're a contender every year, and they don't spend. Like It's the whole money ball with money concept that everyone has talked about for years in regards to Sandy Alderson. Like, imagine being able to actually invest in everything that those organizations do and then on top of it have the ability to go sign JT Real Muto if you so covet him or go sign Trevor Bauer or go sign George Springer like the Rays can't sign those guys so they have to figure out another way but if you could combine the two that's the LA Dodgers that's the team that when are the Dodgers not a World Series contender I mean they haven't won it and you need to finish the job but Dodgers are World Series World Series contender every year and that's exactly and, they will be. and that's exactly what I want the Mets to be. And the Dodgers will be it for years and years to come. I want the Mets to be just like that. I'm with you all the way. Absolutely. Uh, and you know what? They're a New York baseball franchise. Yeah. So uh, while we're sitting here excited and happy for it, I'll also say it's about time. It's yes. about time to get it going and it's it's good that this is uh, it has come to this. So let's take some of your questions this week and we have the first one here from at Thomas Davis 2009. If you could add any former Met not named David Wright to the current Mets, who would you add? Also, what rumored available player would you love to add to the Mets? I'm assuming this offseason. So I'm not going to go far back because, I mean, if I could have prime Tom Seaver, that's pretty sweet, right? <laughs> but Yeah, I think that, that's the, yeah, the, I think the that, other like David Wright answer. Yeah, right? that's the, the other obvious. David Wright answer. But I'm going to go with one of my personal favorites, and that's Carlos Beltran. Give me mid-2000s prime Carlos Beltran, 40 homers a year, gold glove center field. He is exactly the type of thing that you and I are talking about the Mets need in center field. A guy that can hit and a guy that can field. He could run. Beltran was an absolute star that went, frankly, a little underappreciated by this fan base. Uh, you know, a big a big thing is the Wainwright curveball, but Carlos Beltran was worth every penny of that contract that the Mets gave him. It was to me, that, that's the guy that I'm going with. And then as far as rumored player, I'm talking myself more and more into trying to find a way to get Francisco Lindor here. Like, I'm excited about JT Realmuto. I'm excited about Trevor Bauer and Marcus Stroman and George Springer. Those are really good players, and Realmuto is really a star, too, in his own right. But Francisco Lindor is a franchise player. Like, I'm, talk, I'm, I'm trying to find a way. I don't know exactly how we're going to get it done, but if you tell me I could go get that... That one guy, even though we have Jimenez and have Ahmed Rosario, Francisco Lindor is a game changer. 
I mean, there's no denying that. I'm with you on the back end of the question. It's Lindor to me. And I've moved off Arenado. My old answer was get Arenado, get Arenado, get Arenado. I've really become comfortable with, hey, get the younger guy with the speed and the glove for shortstop. And you also have the pieces to move out, right? There's a little bit of a logjam at short where it's like, okay, you know, tough year from Rosario. Uh, you, you like Jimenez, but Jimenez can play third. He can play second. He can spell, you know, Lindor can most of the time I'll play every day, but if he wants to DH a day, you can put Jimenez there. There's so many different things you could do with Jimenez that I don't really worry about it. And if he's not included in the trade, so I'm with you all the way, Joe, this is, this podcast has become the trade for Francisco Lindor podcast. Now to answer the first question, this is kind of a, this might surprise people, but I loved your Beltron answer. I'm going to go with the starting pitcher. And like you, I'm not going to go way back in time. Keep it kind of recent for this generation of Mets fans. I'm going to go with Johan Santana. I think when you look at it, you know, the Mets were terrible when Santana was here, which is a shame um, because he was really good. And we don't even talk about it like that much as Mets fans. Santana was a really good Met. Like the first year they acquired him, he had a 2.53 ERA, which is like what DeGrom does. You know, it, it, like that's how good Santana was where he went out and he was 16 and 7. And then, you know, the next year, Sherry had a 3.13 ERA. And then the year after that, he had a 2.98 ERA. So if you're telling me I could have a rotation this year where it's DeGrom and then Johan, I mean, that's pretty crazy when you think about it I guess you could also make the argument if you want to go the route I'm going somewhat recent pitcher in a sense and I guess actually no I wouldn't say I don't know Pedro is a weird one Pedro had a weird Mets career like like he was really good the first year not so good then really no then he got hurt so no Pedro I, it's Santana by a, a a pretty big stretch. I didn't realize even Pedro was 33 when the Mets got him. Santana was 29. So different, different kind of ballpark there. Um, it's a fun one though. It, it does make you think I'd be curious to see if, if people leave reviews uh, for the pod, definitely leave that one in answer that question. But the next one here from EJ Braun 16, what do you guys think of Paxton? It's a tough one. So I've been thinking about the Mets rotation a bit the last few days and I am full bore. Seth Lugo is going back to the bullpen. I'm going to figure out the rest of the rotation, but I, I can't have Seth Lugo starting anymore. He is just not as good a starter. The bullpen needs another arm, and I can't promise you I'm signing Liam Hendricks. So I need Lugo and Diaz in the back end of the bullpen. I'm sorry, Seth. I know you want to start, but it's best for the Mets that he's in the bullpen. With that said, we both agree the Mets need to sign someone like Trevor Bauer or Marcus Stroman or acquire someone of similar ilk via trade. That said, that's still going to leave two more rotation spots to go with Jacob deGrom and David Peterson. So you have to consider some back-end options. I mean, the Mets are not going to put out the staff of four or five aces like they did a couple years back. And James Paxton, I'm a little torn. So he's obviously incredibly talented. If you look at his results early with the Yankees, and then with Seattle beforehand. James Paxton is a very good pitcher. I'm worried about the shoulder. He had a shoulder issue. He struggled with velocity where he was throwing 91, 92 when he's more of a mid-90s guy. 
and then had a setback. So you'd have to really dive into the medicals. But when you're talking about a back, like if you're looking at a four or five starter, you know, sometimes a risk on someone like this could pay off. You just have to make sure you're you're really doing your due diligence with that shoulder because the last thing you want to do is bring someone on as now a bum shoulder just because he was good before. I definitely don't mind. It's an interesting idea and one that we have not talked about on this show. So I actually really like the question because, one, it seems like guys – you know, Paxson wasn't a bad Yankee in 2019. A 3.82 ERA, it's a tough place to pitch. It's a tough – Division to pitching, that's it's not bad. Um, now, did he ever live up to expectations? Like Paxton was supposed to be their frontline guy, and then you know you get Cole in the offseason. I think it was exciting the thought of Paxton moving back in the rotation a little bit, but it, unfortunately, health is the problem, and it's a big one, like you highlighted, Joe. We just don't know medically with this guy. Now, do I take the? I also don't know what his market is. Do I take the risk as on him as a fifth starter? Absolutely. That's not even. If you looked at it and you somehow, and I agree with you on Lugo. That's that's one of your low key best takes of all time, Joe. Joe has been hammering the table that Lugo is a great reliever and a mediocre starter before the Mets even moved him to the rotation this year. And I, I think we've seen that ring true. It's tough, right? You look at it. Let's just continue to put Syndergaard in this combo because I do think he's a freak that could be back by like June 1. DeGrom, Syndergaard, I know we're like almost too optimistic on this show, but either Bauer or Stroman. And then Peterson as your four. I'm taking Paxton as a five. Absolutely. But once again, is Paxton... Like, what do you think the money is here? I'd imagine a one-year incentive-based deal where you can make... It's Porcello's he, deal, right? He, well, Porcello actually got 10 guaranteed, believe it or not. Um, and then incentives for innings pitched after that. But yeah, I mean, it depends on how his medicals look too. If his medicals look pretty clean, then you'll see a team be more willing to go one-year, 10, and then incentives or something. It, it really depends on how his medicals look. If they're if they're looking suspect, there's still going to be someone that signs James Paxton, but maybe the base salary just ends up lower, uh, and then he has to really earn it. But, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a back-end starter, to me, as long as the medicals look reasonable enough, I, I'd be willing to give it a shot. And then I appreciate you pointing out that my Seth Lugo take is one of my best. I'm willing to have it be number two behind Edwin Diaz. I knew you were going to do that. I knew it. <laughs> You just you just love the Diaz take. It, it, you know what? I'll say this. The Diaz take is more controversial, which is why it's number one. The Lugo, though, was sneaky controversial. You were not happy when they moved him out. Yeah. And people countered with you. They're like, no, no, no. The guy needs a start. And it was like literally the next day that like uh, they blew the seven-run lead to the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, oh, man, could have used Seth Lugo right yeah. now. But, uh, yeah, good times. Love it. All right. The next one from at Hakeem Watts. Do you guys think Pete Alonso would be frustrated if Dom takes over as the permanent starting first baseman and he gets moved to everyday DH? I'd be if if he didn't get frustrated. I think that would be a concern. I mean, Pete Alonso is the ultimate competitor. He is the ultimate hard worker. Like the defense took a step back this year, but it was really nice in 2019. But he. When I saw Pete Alonso in the minor leagues, I would have told you 
this guy has no chance to play first base in the major leagues. Like, just looked like he didn't know what he was doing out there, to be totally honest. But he put in the work to get to the point that he did, and I could see his frustration being, I work so hard. But he's also a team guy. Pete Alonso, LFGM, you know, he's about everyone else on the team. He's not a, a selfish guy. So I think ultimately if the Mets came and said, look, the best thing is Dom Smith is going to be the primary first baseman and we need you to do a lot of DHing. I mean, and let's be honest, Dom Smith is going to sit against some lefties and stuff like that and Pete will get some reps at first. It's not like Dom's going to play 162. Uh, but I, 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 I'd be a little concerned if he wasn't somewhat frustrated because he's a competitor. But ultimately, there's no way he would let that bring down team chemistry and it's obvious how close him and Dom are like which is almost insane two guys that like Pete literally took Dom's job and then Dom kind of took and that Dom kind of and that Dom kind of <laughs> took Pete's job and there are not there are two people there are two other players on the team that support each other as much as Dom Smith and Pete Alonso do it's I, I can't imagine him being upset about it it's crazy they're both 25 Right. Crazy. And and it's not like one you could say Pete came a little out of nowhere, but still Pete was a second round pick and Dom was a first round pick. So like they had two first basemen that were you know there were expectations as prospects because they were both top two round picks, same age, and they both panned out. And it's a luxury. Like I I'm so glad they didn't trade Dom last offseason because I think Dom might be the best pure hitter on the Mets. It's close, right? Like McNeil, when McNeil's locked in, McNeil is as tough and out there is in baseball. But there was times with Dom this year where I'm like, wow, he takes some of the best at-bats I've seen in a Met uniform in a very long time. And it's like we almost forgot after 2019 when people were like, hey, he's a trade piece. He's 24 years old, plays a great glove at first. He, his power goes up astronomically each year in the last two years. I don't know. You just kind of look at it. It's like, it's interesting, right? Because I, I don't know how long you want to just throw Dom in left, right? And the Mets are lucky that the DH came to the NL early where you can find a lot of places for these guys to play. You know, Cespedes opts out and then Dom plays every day and, and Dom's maybe the best hitter on the team or, you know, a lot of different things. Just phenomenal. So it, it's tough. I think to go back to the question, Pete would be frustrated. And like you said, Joe, it would be a problem if he wasn't. But Pete wouldn't publicly cry, like outcry about it where it would be a problem in the headlines. Um, you know, I wonder almost. They always say, like, Cano is a guy that doesn't want to DH, right? They say, and Cano ended up being a great DH. <laughs> Every time he DH, he cr- killed the ball. But they say often that a lot of guys don't like it disrupting their rhythm. They like playing in the field, and they like they like the batting, like the back and forth. They don't like sitting in the dugout and just batting. I think Pete gets – Pete is so emotional, right? And I know Pete is the type of guy that says, like, hey, I have to put everything behind you. He doesn't. You could see him wear his emotions on his sleeve. And I – yes, I love that about Pete, and I think Pete's an incredible competitor. But I think – when Pete has a mishap in the field, which is unfortunately often this year, it carries over to his at-bats. And and there's just a part of me that wonders, should they give it a crack with Pete at DH where he's strictly focusing on his at-bats? And I'm saying that also because Dom is a great first baseman. 
like a great first baseman where it's like, man, this isn't as, it's not really like big brain as you think, right? It's not a galaxy brain theory. It's like, hey, Dom's a great first baseman that needs to play every day, play him at first. Pete is a guy that he wants to get better at first. He wants to win a gold glove at first. The Mets want to win ball games right now. And Pete's not a gold glove first baseman. Pete's barely an adequate first baseman right now. He was as a rookie. Um, there's a lot of ways it can go. I love Pete. I just want to see that bat get back on track. And I, I do want to see more Dom at first. So it, it'll be very, very interesting. It, it's The Mets actually have some flexibility in the infield, which is rare for them. And I think that's a really, really good thing. So the last question to close out our show here today uh, from Avzin Sports. Do you see the Mets as the biggest spenders this offseason? Will there also be a stronger emphasis on building up the farm system? Hard to do both. Uh, so biggest spender, I mean, maybe, because I think you're going to see a lot of teams cutting. Uh, but I expect the Mets, if they're not the biggest spender, to be one of the biggest spenders, and that's good enough, right? I mean, I don't, that's a tough one. Like, maybe. They might be. I hope so. But... I expect they'll be they'll be up there if they're not number one, and then as far well, as they extend Conforto, if you count the internal extension, yeah. then I would say so. Yeah, for sure. And then as far as emphasis on building up the farm, I think so. I I, I expect Steve Cohen to invest a lot of money into analytics, technology, and scouting. And Sandy Alderson has always been a proponent of building up the farm. I mean. Most of the core of your team was drafted by not Sandy Alderson. I know everyone gives, you know, but the people that Sandy Alderson hired to do the draft. And Tommy Tanis, Mark Tremuda, guys like that, they're still here. And Sandy is going to be a little less willing to deal off prospects, much less willing than Brody was. Uh, Brody certainly had no issue trading prospects, and I would argue did way too much of it. But building up the farm system is another re- way to have sustained success. I mean, you can do both. The Dodgers do both. The Dodgers always have great prospects coming up. It seems like every other month they're calling up another big-time prospect. Like, they're loaded in the farm system, they're loaded on the major league team, and they spend with the big boys. Like, the Dodgers are the model. I can't express that enough. The Dodgers are the model. That's exactly what the Mets need to do. That's where I want the Mets to be. And emphasis on farm system, yes, please. I do prospects. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome, right? And it's interesting you brought up the Dodgers. I'm always mind blown because I don't follow prospects league-wide. I just follow the Mets farm system, and I'm like, God, another one. Yeah. It's like they're just an endless surplus of talent with them. Um, you know, the last thing I want to throw in here, can you give like a dummy guide to the international free agent market? Yeah, so really the international... dummy guy, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, it's like, I got you. I, I need to know. Yeah, the, the international free agent market, it, you essentially get a cap just like you do in the draft. So you have blank millions of dollars that you're allowed to spend. And if you go over, you get taxed. Very similar to the draft. You know, we, we went over this with Matt Allen and how the Mets kind of work that process. It's very similar in international free agency. However, it's just a little different. I mean, it, it's a recruiting game where... Frankly, it seems like these deals get worked out months before they actually are allowed to sign. And yeah, it, it, the base international market is just based on recruiting, 
and finding the right kids and giving them the right amount of money and bring them into your system. And sometimes you hit on the multi-million dollar ones. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, those, I mean, I know he hasn't been everything everyone hoped, but he was a great investment of $1.8 million. And then sometimes you get guys like Jairus Familia, which was like $25,000. So you just, you have a real mix there. And then of course you have the upper echelon international market, like the Shohei Otanis and you know, the Victor Victor Mesa's and the guys like that, that get serious coin. They don't count in that same pool. It's, it's, it's it's really complicated, and I'm hoping. I was gonna say, I'm, oh god, I'm hope, <laughs> here we go. I'm hoping one day they end up going to an international draft, and I think there's a chance they will do that at some point in time. But yeah, no, the international market's interesting. Um, the Mets have spent there. Francisco Alvarez was a big signing. Um, yeah, they they've certainly not been afraid to spend. But according to Baseball America, the Mets are not projected as of now to sign anyone for more than 650000 in this coming market. It seems like their plan for this class that's coming up is going to be more quantity. Like, we need to get a bunch of guys, and sometimes you hit on the smaller ones. I mean, Robert Dominguez from last year, he was signed for, I, I believe, $50,000, and now he's a top 15 prospect in the system, and he's throwing 99, 100 miles an hour at 18 years old. Just a guy that, and, and on the flip side, yeah. Mauricio was a was a big dollar. Yes, guy, he right? was absolutely. Yep, Mauricio was big. Alvarez was big. Um, Ramirez was big. There's been they haven't been afraid to spend, but it almost feels like it's almost like an every other year thing with them. Like it seems like this year they'll go and get a big fish. Then next year they'll just get a bunch of guys, and then the next year they'll go get a big fish. Um, but I hope with Steve Cohen's funds that they can pursue the big fish more often in this pool and then when the Shohei Otanis when those guys become available that's a that's a whole nother ball game to get involved in that market and start spending there like I want to see more investment in Asia like you, you need to become much more worldwide and much more willing to invest in those things but the international market we'll certainly get into it as the Mets make international signings and you know we'll, we'll talk about these kids but it's a it's a lot and a draft would make things a lot easier well, there you have it, folks. I'm going to try to sneak those in whenever I can. It's basically like Joe's lesson of the show. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, those things are hard for anyone to digest. Like, the, you just kind of led yourself into it. Like, how complicated. There's, like, two different international free agent markets. <laughs> it's just like the, the superstars can make this, but then everyone else has a cap. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's really cool because it also helps me. And like we said, we are going to – leave no stone unturned on this show which is really exciting but that wraps up the episode today joe closing thoughts great show can't wait for next week and you know uh, we're getting closer to steve cohen getting approved i firmly believe it's going to happen this month i don't know for sure but i have it in my head i think the approval is happening this month and this month has not a ton of days left. So we might get approval within the next couple shows. We need we need this playoffs to hurry up. Tampa, just go ahead and sweep Houston. Atlanta, go ahead and sweep L.A. And then Tampa, go sweep Atlanta because we can't have NL East win back-to-back World Series. I ain't into that. So Tampa, sweep out and you know take your World Series. That's very well-deserved. And let's get Steve Cohen in and let's get rolling. All right. There you have it, folks. Uh, another fun show. And... 
God, as the weeks count down, we are going to have more rumors about free agency. I have a feeling we are going to have some kind of trade to discuss this offseason and some more hires by Steve Cohen. So absolutely love it. And we will be back episode 10 next week. So we'll catch you guys next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're black. It's the story of a decades long struggle of black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.